Good morning, 1115. All right, I should say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Hey, special uh, welcome to two groups of people this morning. Number one, all of our village kids that are here, would you do me a favor? Would you raise not just one hand, but two hands so we can see you all? Can we give them a round of applause? We love you guys. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm absolutely shocked. The 8.15 and the 9.45, the kids were incredible. I mean, I'm not kidding. They literally paid attention to every word of my message from beginning to end. They were like, best sermon I've ever heard, for sure. Um, no, but for real, we're so glad that you guys are here. And a uh, second group of people I want to just give a special hello to would be all of the friends and family from out of town. Uh, I love Christmas. We get to see so many people that live in different states, uh, sometimes even different countries. And it is just our joy to open up God's word with you, to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, of God becoming flesh in humanity. And so we are just privilege to worship with you and celebrate with you, so we want to just give you a big warm welcome. Uh, all right, if you have a Bible, would you open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians uh, chapter 4? So my wife and I, we celebrated our 20th anniversary this year, and I put together an incredible plan. All right, so I'm going to confuse you on the front end. Are you ready? Our anniversary is at the end of July. The trip I planned was in October, but I paid for the trip in February of 2023. So between February of 2023 and when we went on the trip was a solid eight months. And I was like, I'm going to keep a secret from my wife. Guys, I'm the worst secret keeper when I'm super excited about a gift, okay? Like, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait until late July on our anniversary for five months I was like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to move it back to uh, Father's Day. No, I'm going to move it back to Mother's Day. The day I booked the tickets, I literally said to myself, don't tell anybody. You can do it. And then I called up my oldest daughter. I'm like, you're not going to believe what I just did. And then I called up my cousin. Then I called up Paige on staff. And then I just started telling a whole bunch of people, guys, I cannot keep a secret if it's a present that I've purchased for you that I am excited about. And so it typically goes like this. Um, I'll buy something for you. You'll have no idea. And then I'll, I'll go oh, you're not going to believe what I got you. <laughs> and then you'll say to me, what is it? And I'll be like, I can't tell you. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> sweet. Um, I'll give you a hint. You'll never, you'll never guess, <laughs> ever. Sniceland. You'll never get it. It's not even going to happen. <laughs> That'll, that will hit later. That's going to... But uh, I, I, I'm just, I can't do it. Some of you, you are like, you can buy a gift for somebody. You can hold on to the secret. I'm just... When I know someone is going to be super blessed and pumped about something, it's hard for me. Now, there's a word, a couple words in the New Testament that the Bible uses to refer to the birth and the coming of Jesus. And these two words are secret and mystery. Now, I want to tell you something because I don't think most people realize this about the birth of Jesus Christ. Before he was born, nobody knew who the mother was going to be. Nobody knew the family. Nobody knew the time frame. Like all of this, nobody had a clue whatsoever. But God knew before the foundations of the world, God designed and orchestrated a very meticulous plan 
that was going to come to culmination 2,000 years ago on a predetermined night at a very specific time with a very specific woman in a very specific city. Now, I'm going to read you three scriptures um, from the apostle Paul, and one, two are from Paul and one's from Peter. Romans 16:25. Paul described Jesus as the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. Like before Jesus, no one knew who is it going to be? When's it going to happen? What is this thing going to look like? Colossians says it this way. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The apostle Peter, I, I love what he says. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, they searched and they inquired carefully. And so what they would do is they would go to the Old Testament scriptures and they would open them up and they would say, it's got to tell us something about when the Messiah is going to come. We know the Messiah is going to suffer. We know he's going to reign over the entire world, but like there's got to be something. And they could not actually nail down what's his name, what's the date, when's this going to happen. And then at the end of this, here's what it says. Things into which angels long to look. So consider this, before Mary was told what was going to happen. The angels had no idea. They knew something was coming. They didn't know who. They didn't know when. They didn't know the details. The demonic realm, they had no idea. And what's interesting is if you kind of go back in time to the book of Genesis in chapter 3, there's a, a promise made to Satan where, where God says one of Adam's offspring, so some human being, is going to crush you, defeat you, or destroy you. And, and Satan had no idea who it was, so he started a global campaign to kill children. And then eventually you learn that Abraham, it's going to be actually through Abraham's offspring and the Jewish people. And so you'll notice as you open up the Bible, you read the Old Testament, that there is a coordinated effort to kill as many Jewish children as possible because Satan knows if I can get the kid before the kid grows up and takes me out, I can win. Now, is Satan a fool? The answer to everybody is absolutely. But in, uh, until this birth actually happened, even the angels, even, even the demons were sitting there like, when is this thing going to happen? We want to know. So the book of Galatians, it picks up this theme and it pinpoints the birth of Jesus as the revelation of this secret that people, that prophets have been searching for and waiting for. Who is it? When is it? What's going to happen? And I want you to read this with me. Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So here's what we're gonna do this Christmas Eve. We're gonna kind of double down on these four words, the fullness of time. Uh, these are kind of four words that the more you think about it, the more you look into it, it just sort of unravels. The more you dig, the more gold you get. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to draw out 300 different applications from, no, I'm kidding, three. We're going to have three things we're going to focus on. Don't worry, mom and dad, it's going to be fine. All right. The fullness of time teaches us that the birth of Jesus, it was not a reaction, but that it was planned by God. I, I, don't, I don't know that everybody has thought through that Jesus was not a reaction to the world going crazy. Has anybody else know, noticed that the world is nuts all the time, that something is always breaking, unraveling globally? This has always been the case. We just now have more access to information. But God didn't, didn't look down at earth and say, wow, this is a mess. 
I have an idea. Maybe God should become flesh and then should like save humanity from themselves. That is not how it worked. In fact, what we learn in scripture is that this plan for Jesus to become human was actually conceived before creation even began. So that when God made the world, this was a part of the intention from the very beginning. Jesus Christ would be, this was the plan, at the right time, at the right point in history, literally on a specific date and year and location, chosen by God in his mind. Literally all creation and history is pointing and culminating to this moment in this place Because this was not a reaction, this was God's plan. The fullness of time, here's what this means. It means that all of the things that God put into motion are all converging to this one point in space and time 2,000 years ago on a night in Israel in the city of Bethlehem. The fullness of time, it also teaches us that Jesus' birth wasn't just generally planned, but it was meticulously orchestrated. So, for the first time in all of human history, 2,000 years ago, something happened that could have never happened before. For the first time in human history, number one, a baby could be born. Now, that, that happens all the time. Okay, let's be clear. But a baby could be born, and a message about this child could be spread throughout the entire known world with relative ease and quickness. Now, there are four things that converged 2,000 years ago in history that for the first time they made it possible for God to become flesh and for the good news of Jesus Christ not to just stop with a mom and a dad and some shepherds, but to go out into the entire world. Here are the four things that came together. Number one, the Roman Empire. 700 years before the birth of Christ, there was a prophet named Daniel. And what Daniel did is he actually prophesied the next three major empires that were going to come onto the globe. He prophesied the Assyrian Empire and then the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire. And what's really interesting is that what happened in the Roman Empire is that there was a time, a season of unusual and remarkable peace, which brings us the second piece of history that came together was the Roman peace. If you know your Latin, it's the Pax Romana. It's the season of unusual global peace. And what you find in global peace is that people are able to create and to innovate. And what happened in this season of global peace, a third thing happened, uh, the Roman Empire built one of the most amazing infrastructures globally. They built roads that could take you almost anywhere in the known world. And not only that, but they also had a postal service so that if I wrote a letter in one city with relative ease, I could actually get that letter communicated across the world within a reasonable amount of time. Now, there's actually a fourth piece of history that comes um, into play here, and that is the Greek language. So if you open up your New Testament, it's written in what's called Koine Greek. So before the Roman Empire was the Greek Empire. And what they did is they made the trade language of the entire world Greek. And when the Roman Empire took over, they kept this trade language. And here's what this means. It means that no matter where I go in the world, 80 to 90% of the known world, no matter where I go, I am going to be near somebody or talking to somebody who speaks and understands Koine Greek. And so when the New Testament is written, it is written in this language that is a global language so that now, for the first time in human history, God 
can become flesh in Jesus. And the good news of this can actually be brought to almost every single corner of the globe. This was the fullness of time. Uh, It's interesting because even when you look at Daniel's prophecies of the empires that were going to be coming out of the globe, you see that even the empires were raised up by God and destroyed by God, ultimately for the sake of bringing Jesus Christ into the centerpiece of this world. Amazing. The fullness of time. It teaches us that the birth of Jesus was not another myth. There are so many myths, so many ideas about who God is and whatnot, but actually verifiable history. Like the fullness of time is communicating to us that this isn't just a story we tell, but this is actually a point in actual history. I appreciate that when God became flesh, when Jesus became fully human, I appreciate that God made sure that there were a bunch of witnesses. You have a ton of shepherds. You have Mary and Joseph. You have many, many bystanders watching this happen. Uh, My favorite eyewitnesses were these magi or these wise men from 900 miles away in Persia or modern-day Iran. And here's what God did because of this moment in time, because of the Roman roads, the Roman infrastructure, because of the language. God actually, through a star, brought these wise men 900 miles to personally meet Jesus told them the good news of salvation that has been born in Israel and then sent them back into Persia to bring the good news of Jesus Christ there. And before those wise men were even there, 700 years before that, they were given prophecies that were planted that they were studying and reading that would show them what it all means. A God is up to something, meticulously orchestrating history in this beautiful way and then validating that this isn't just a myth. This is actually a story witnessed miraculously by people. It was also validated through multiple prophecies over millennia. Can I just share with you three of my favorite prophecies about the birth of Christ? Here's one, Isaiah 7, 14. It was prophesied hundreds of years earlier before he was born that the baby would be born to a virgin. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel or God in the flesh with us. Uh, God didn't just predetermine that there would be a miraculous birth. He predetermined the exact city, Bethlehem in Micah 5 two. but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And and as you read the the Christmas story, what you see is that actually God puts it into the heart of the Roman leaders to coordinate a census because Mary, pregnant with Jesus, wasn't in the right city to fulfill the prophecies. And so he basically forces her hand to be in Bethlehem on a specific night at a specific date in history because that was the plan predetermined from the foundations of the world. Here's the third one. Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, there are multiple prophecies about the Messiah would be of the lineage of King David. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. God didn't just validate it through eyewitnesses. He didn't just validate it through literally centuries of prophecy that all pointed to this very specific moment, but I think most importantly, he validated it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, you should be thinking, Pastor Michael, it's not Easter. Get your story straight. I get it. 
The birth of Jesus is meaningless without the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You cannot preach a Christmas Eve message and not talk about the resurrection because babies are born all the time. There are so many babies from people who are born who say, I have some kind of spiritual significance to me. I'm really, really important or whatever. But the resurrection of Jesus, nobody in history has been able to be raised from the dead until Jesus Christ. And we step back and God says, listen, everything that the prophets have said, everything my apostles have said, everything that this man has said about himself is true. And I'm going to validate it because we are going to watch him be objectively murdered and then objectively raised from the dead. And we are going to have witnesses, hundreds of them that are going to spread out and tell the good news of a dead Jesus who is now an alive Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is absolutely 100% essential. Christmas is meaningless without a risen Jesus. All right, so at Bill Church, what we do is we end our sermons with what we call so what's. And we end them with so what's because we don't want you to just walk away and say, oh, interesting, fun, I'm gonna go now, open presents. We want you to understand that the word of God has a demand on our lives. The, the word of God has truth it wants you to believe, actions it wants you to take, convictions it wants you to experience. And so I have two so what's, and my first so what is for a specific group of people in this room. My first so what is for those of you in the room who would call yourself Christian, meaning that you have personally come to God and said, I am sorry for my sins. I believe that Jesus is not just God, but my God, that he died for my sins and he was raised from the dead. If you've ever gotten to the point where you and God have had that conversation, I have great news for you. God's promise is that anybody who personally trusts in Christ, he will forgive them and you in that moment become a Christian. So my first so what is for those of you who have personally trusted in Christ. Christmas isn't just a passing holiday, but it is a deeply personal event. Okay, so every family has an origin story. In fact, you, you might even tell these stories about your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents. And as you grow up at a home, you realize that there's a whole bunch of people who went before us, and we are who we are because of the people that went before us. And, and some of those stories are really important. So what we do is we pluck out those stories, and we make sure that our kids and our grandkids know them because it is a part of our identity as a family. It is who who we are. And so here's what I find at Christmas. There are two, two kinds of Christians. The first see Christmas more as like a, a holiday. Um, lucky us, we're going to get a few days off of work. Might even get a Christmas bonus. I'm going to get to see people I haven't seen in a long time. I'm going to go into a little bit of debt or a lot of bit of de debt, depending on who you are. And, and uh, it's going to just be a time for me to relax, maybe bicker with my siblings a little bit, but it's going to be great. And for you, Christmas is about a holiday. Jesus, thanks for being born. Now I get a week off. Awesome. I think as you grow and mature spiritually, something kind of shifts and you begin to understand um, that, that Christmas is actually more than a story about what happened to an historical Mary and a historical Joseph and Jesus. What you start to realize as you grow up is that this is one of those stories that is a part of your spiritual family heritage. I mean, we stop the entire world because of the events of the incarnation with Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. Like, we, we stop everything because this is one of those, one of those times when we say, no, this, this is a story that is real and that we stop and that we savor. And we make sure, not, that, not just that we remember, but we make sure that our kids 
and our grandkids know the details of this story. It is, it is that it is that important. And so when you read the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, uh, there's a shift that kind of has to happen. These aren't characters in a story. This is your spiritual heritage and family. These are your people. These, these are the people, because of what they did, you now have an eternal spiritual family in Christ. And so we stop, and we just say, you know what? We're going to open presents. We're going to eat food. We're going to have family together. But there's, there's something different about the way we do this. We tell the story because we want to make sure our kids know that this is of utmost importance. Look, look back at Galatians 4 with me. Verse 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, when all the plans and preparations that God had put into motion, all the orchestration is coming to its pinpoint moment 2,000 years ago in this night. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And I want you to watch what happens in verse 5. You're going to see that there is an unusual focus on family. Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's interesting, Paul is identifying that the birth of Jesus Christ is directly connected to your spiritual family history so that when you trust in Christ, the language is that you are adopted and you are now spiritual family and these are now your people. And then it goes on in verse six, six and says, because, of your, because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Like, have you ever been in a room, like dads for a moment, like, and there's a kid calling out for his dad, and you're like, that's not my kid, I'm not responding to that, right? Like, his dad can come find him and figure that out. So that's not what it's like to be in a relationship with God. When you're in a relationship with God, when you trust in Christ, you are adopted and you are a son, and when you cry out to your God, he hears you because you are family, and he is your father, Verse seven says, so you're no longer a slave to sin and darkness, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So that when you trusted in Christ, you are adopted, you are his, he is your dad. Everything that he has is yours, your heir to the entire world. You, by the way, that is great news for you and I. That is incredible news. And so I, I wanna just encourage you, if you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, um, maybe this Christmas it's, it's an opportunity for you to say, I'm going to do all the, all the great family traditions. At the end of the day, this is one of those spiritual legacy stories that we want to instill into our hearts, our children's hearts, and our grandkids' hearts. All right, now, number two, I want to talk to those of you in the room who are not Christians. So one of the um, fun things about preaching on a few days of the year is that there are always people who particularly, like, they're like, I don't want to be here. I'm not thrilled to be here. And so some of you have given an incredible gift to your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your brother, your sister, or something. Or maybe you flew in from out of town. This happens a lot. You flew in from out of town and they're like, oh, we're all going to church. Let's go. And they didn't even ask you. And you're here and you're like, why am I here? And uh, maybe they're like, yeah, Pastor Michael is the best preacher ever. You're going to have the best sermon. No, I'm kidding. That's a, uh, you're like already, you're like, no, nah, I'm good. All right. Really, we so glad you're here want to bless you, at the worst, at the worst, maybe you can understand a little bit more about what Christmas is to Christians and what it means, its significance, a little bit behind the scenes, get into the word a little bit, increase your empathy, and, and, and at the worst, that's what happens. 
at the best, we bless you, encourage you, and you're able to spend time worshiping uh, God or at least learning about him and getting some questions answered. But I do have a so what for you as well. God is still orchestrating globally. Like the, the Lord has not stopped orchestrating history. Empires rise and fall. But what I want you to see in this is that God doesn't just orchestrate history. He orchestrates lives, your life, personally. I, don't, I do not know what 2023 had for you. It could have been the greatest year you've ever had. It could have been the worst year you could have possibly imagined. I do know this, that your life is being overseen by God and whatever happened is for one big purpose, and that is to introduce you to Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time with an open heart. What was God doing with the wise men? You have these wise men who are pagans, who under Old Testament law should be stoned and murdered, who are 900 miles away, and God plucked these guys out, brought them over to the very feet of Jesus. Why? so that they could meet and believe in Jesus Christ. And then he sent them home with the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, why Mary and Joseph? What is God doing with them? What he's, what he's doing with them is he's orchestrating their entire life to bring them to this moment. Mary is going to give birth to the God-man, but she also has to believe in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Same with, same with Joseph. And what is God doing in your life? You don't have to agree with me. Consider it. But if, if really the scriptures are true and Jesus really is God in the flesh, if he really did design you, your body, your height, your personality, I don't know if bald heads are a part of the fall or not, either way. <laughs> he, he gave you a mom and a dad, a specific point in history. The amount of intentionality that has gone into your life personally is unbelievable. And if the scriptures are true and God is this intentional with you, you want to know him. If, if Jesus is actually not just a God, but the only God, if the only way of forgiveness and salvation is through believing in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if he really is who he says he is, we should be really, really grateful that God is orchestrating our lives to bring us to a point of decision to believe in Jesus Christ. And I just think that is incredible news. And you don't have to believe any of that, but at the very least, I think it is fair for every person to say, God, if you're out there and Jesus really is who he says he is, show me the truth and the beauty of who he is and I will believe in you. And I think God is just really, really faithful that when people really want to know the truth about who he is, that he has a way of revealing himself to them. But at the end of the day, whether you're a believer or not, this is one of the central moments and stories of human history. And whether or not we believe it when we die, we are gonna realize when we get to see history through God's lens that the incarnation is one of the most significant moments human history has ever, ever experienced. And it culminated with the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I have good news. God hasn't stopped orchestrating history. I know it looks crazy in the world. Jesus is coming back. We've searched and inquired, Christians have, for millennia, the scriptures, the when, the where, the why, the how, we don't know. But he is coming back, and when he does, we are gonna see his grand master plan bring and come to culmination, and we will give him praise and glory, amen? I wanna take a moment, I wanna pray for you, and I wanna just say to all the kids, you are incredible listeners. I actually thought there'd be more rumbling, 
and you've been incredible. So in behalf of everyone here, thank you. And when you go home, make sure you tell mom and dad what the sermon was about, okay? All right. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so thankful. We are thankful that you intentionally orchestrated all of this so that we might meet you, have forgiveness of sins, reconciled back to you. Lord, we love you. I am thankful for all of the traditions in Christmas from family to presents and everything in between to the songs that we sing just uniquely in this time. But God, I, I pray that you would help us keep Christ first in our hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Lord, as we um, engage in kind of all these symbols, Lord, would you just draw our hearts back to you? Lord, I pray that if there's uh, anyone here who's just trying to figure you out and what you are, would you just with clarity reveal yourself? We love you, and we are so thankful for Christmas, for Jesus, his birth, his death, his resurrection, and what we know is gonna be his second coming. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen.